You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Anyhow, hey, before we really kind of roll in our service this morning, I just want to give kind of a, a big thanks to God and thanks to you guys. Uh, obviously, our whole worship area here looks very different today than it did just three weeks ago. And, uh, and Dan tells me that over 50 people helped volunteer to make this happen. And uh, literally, almost like a thousand hours went into this place. So uh, I'm really thankful to you. And uh, I'm really thankful to God and just want us as a church to really give him thanksgiving. The chairs that you are sitting in right now uh, were given to us for free. And it would have cost us $9,000 just for these, believe it or not. And we've got some more coming. And by the way, there's going to be several people have asked, you know, there's no pockets on these. So if you're used to pulling an envelope out um, for the offering, we're getting pockets that should have been here already, but are not. So they're somewhere between Idaho and here or wherever they're coming from. But uh, if you do need a pocket, uh, an envelope for the offering, you like to do it that way. There's some uh, envelopes on the back table. Feel free just to hop up anytime during the service. But uh, you probably don't notice, but there's a new office center in the office that uh, was given to us for free. Uh, ladies, you won't know this, but the men, when they go in the men's room, will see a brand new nice cabinet that's in there, and we're trying to move some things around. We took a wall out. That was for free. We took a wall out trying to make it easier. We noticed it just... Parents picking up their kids in the back, the little guys, just there's a log jam in there. So we took that out trying to make space and just, uh, I'm just amazed at how inexpensive this was and really is God is one that's done it. And I look back over the years, just how faithful God has been to us to literally give us this building. Uh, at least 300,000 of it dollars was gift was given to us to help get it and just so many things away. So I think it's appropriate to say thank you to God, right? And somebody gives you a gift. Somebody gives you a gift, we ought to say thank you. So let's pray right now and just say thanks to God. Father, I want to truly, truly thank you for how you have blessed us. You've blessed us through your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that above everything else. None of this compares or matters in, in relationship to that. But Father, you love us and sent your son to die for us. And because of it, you care for us in this life. And Lord, I'm grateful for how you have provided for us in this, this building. And it's really not about making a, a beautiful space for us just to enjoy. It really is about us having a facility, a, a space that is a blessing to people, encouraging for people to come, encouraging to people who don't know you but are asking questions. Father, I pray that you would use us and use this facility for your glory to touch people's lives with the gospel and to change them. Lord, would you work in our hearts? Uh, I pray that every day, but specifically today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Dan shared with us about pride from the book of Obadiah. And this week, it's fitting that we talk about Jonah and talk about stubbornness. I was trying to find a way to work my black eye into stubbornness, but I really wasn't being stubborn in that moment. But uh, stubbornness. I had, the first dog that I had was a rescue dog, and uh, I don't remember, maybe 20 years ago we got him. His name was Sonny, like the sunshine, and, uh, and he, he was like a two, three, maybe four-year-old dog when we got him, and he was a German short hair pointer, okay? So kind of an intense dog, if you will, 
And it was a good family pet, reasonably so. We, we frankly enjoy our current dog way more than we did him. But I would have to say his overall character was he was just hard-headed. He just would not want to be trained for nothing. And I'm kind of, my philosophy with dogs is not far off from kids. I want my dogs to behave. I don't want them, you know, running wild and crazy. When I say come, I like them to come, you know, reasonably. And uh, I'm not an out-of-control owner, but I like to get them under control at some level. And uh, he just would not behave worth anything. He was just just stubborn, just stubborn. So I put an electro, uh, an electric electronic fence around our house, you know, an electronic collar, and I trained them. And if you've never trained a dog for that, they have like little white flags that you put out, and the collar will begin to beep when he gets close to it to say, hey, warning, back up, buddy. And if you ignore the warning, then you take that next step, and you get just a little shock on the neck. Now, this is not a taser fall down and, you know, jolt. This is not a thousand volts going through the body. It's just a little just a little nick, and it's, it, it, I've had it to my, thing, my hand just to feel what it feels like, and it doesn't hurt, but it's, it's weird. It's just it's a bizarre thing. And he knew right where that line was. I trained him dutifully, like every day, multiple times a day, and, you know, he knew where it was. But he also knew, he figured out, because he was a smart dog, that if he was willing to endure a moment of discomfort, that he could have hours of fun and pleasure and do whatever he wanted. And I remember the day that we were outside and he kind of got near the line and he kind of looks back at me just to gauge where I am. He's like, yep, I can make this one. And he just ducks his head and I can envision him mentally like gritting his teeth and off he goes. And I don't know where he went, neighbor's yards, you know, who knows whatever, what else he did. And it would drive me insane. I just, ah, why are you doing that? Stubborn, hell-bent on doing what he wanted to do, when he wanted to do it, and the way he wanted to do it. Now, I know that none of us in this room have ever struggled in our life with stubbornness. I know there's not a single soul in this room who has any problem with being stubborn. But it just so happens that the entire book of Jonah is about a guy who was ridiculously stubborn before God, and it kind of cost him a lot. So this morning, I want you and I to understand a little more deeply how much a problem our stubbornness is with God. It's certainly with other people, but ultimately, it's really a big problem with God, and it's, it's really not a laughing matter. It's a big deal. So turn with me to the book of Jonah, if you would. Jonah chapter 1. And read about one of the most stubborn guys in the world who was so stubborn, he literally woke up one day inside a fish. One of these crazy stories that people, skeptics will say, all right, Sean, can you really believe the Bible? Like, how does a guy live inside of a fish with no oxygen? Even if he was a whale, it was a whale. And by the way, we don't know if it was a whale or a big fish. There's apparently three or four species of fish slash whales, one being the big sperm whales of the Moby Dick kind, you know, that have the big heads and the teeth that are big enough to swallow a person whole. But, you know, last time I checked, our stomachs and esophagus and all of that were not meant for air. So he didn't get swallowed into the lungs where he could breathe. He went down, you know, the, he went down the throat to be food and he lived for three days. Sean, how is that possible? Bottom line, it's only possible because of a miracle of God. However it happened, and I did a lot of reading and lots of opinions and all of that, but 
here's where I am. If I really believe that there's a God in heaven who can make this world out of nothing, that's a way bigger miracle than sustaining a guy inside a fish for three days. Way, way bigger miracle. So it's easy for me to accept this and believe this. So if you're not quite there, that's okay. You can um, listen and, and consider, but I really believe Jonah is not an allegory. It's not a moral story. It's not a Mary had a little lamb story, you know, that we're looking back in time. It legit, there was a dude that swam around inside a fish for three days and became fish vomit, you know. Fish vomit's kind of gross, but when you are the fish vomit, it's even grosser, I'm sure, I assure you. So read with me, if you would, in Jonah 1, and uh, let's think about stubbornness this morning. The Bible says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it. Here's why. For their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah was a prophet. He was a prophet of God who was sent to tell people God's word. Problem is, he was in Jerusalem, or likely Israel at the time, right on the the uh, western end of the Mediterranean Sea, and God said, go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was an Assyrian city. It was a very large city at that time. By the way, skeptics have looked at the Bible for years and like, yeah, Nineveh. We've never found any archaeological evidence of Nineveh. Until about the mid-1800s, and they're digging around, and they're like, what do you know? Here's Nineveh. We had no clue. I just, I love, the more holes that get dug in the ground, the more the Bible is proved true. So we can't prove that a guy survived a fish for three days, but we can sure prove the city of Nineveh exists. In fact, there's a lot of other cool evidence. It was found underneath a, a, an area that basically had the name Jonah on it. And there's some other archaeological evidence as well. And anyway, but God said, go to Nineveh, those Assyrians. And, and Jonah, as a, a good Hebrew, as a good Jewish boy, said, I don't want to go do that. I want to go somewhere else. So look what, he's, what he does. In verse 3, But Jonah, but, it's never good when God tells you to do something, and the next word on a sentence is but. <laughs> never a good idea. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now Tarshish is way over in Spain, 2,000 miles away from Israel. In fact, the opposite direction of where Nineveh is. Nineveh is in Iraq. And Jonah said, you want me to go... West, I'm, or east, I'm going to go west. I'm going this direction. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away. This is key. We'll talk about it in a minute. From the presence of the Lord. And if you're at all familiar with the story of Jonah, from that point, a storm blows up a kind that the sailors were even afraid of, were terrified. In fact, they're throwing all the ballast overboard. They're praying down to all their different gods, thinking that maybe they've offended one of the gods or hoping that one of them was more powerful enough to like, solve this problem. And Jonah is down in the boat, the, sh the small ship, asleep. And they get mad. I'm like, what are you doing? I don't know how in the world he could have slept through that, but he did. And they said, you need to get up and pray to your God because maybe he'll solve us. And then finally, they, they said, all right, we're going to th throw lots, kind of like dice. And, uh, and we're going to find out which one of us is responsible for this storm. So they throw the lots and it lands on Jonah. And they're like, what did you do? And look what he says. What did you do? Where are you from? And he says this in verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, 
and I fear the Lord, the I am, literally, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now, how do you think those sailors thought about that one? Dude, you worship the God who made the sea and you offended him? No wonder we're in this mess. What are you, nuts? Are you insane? Why have you done this? And then the men, in verse 10, were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Why is it that you and I sometimes are stubborn in our life? Let's be real and keep it honest as we try to at River. Every one of us has a stubborn streak in us. Give the right situation, the right time, the right environment, or maybe with a certain person that for whatever reason we just dig our heels in and we become stubborn. Now the thing about stubbornness, much like pride that Dan talked about last week, the prideful person doesn't really know that they're prideful, usually. Sometimes they do. That really is prideful and arrogant. The stubborn person usually justifies the stubbornness. Well, I'm right. I deserve this. I ought to. I don't have to. And they don't call it as much stubbornness as they just think that, that they're in the right and they should be able to do what they want and how they want and when they want and all of that. But God looks at us and says, no, you're stubborn. You see, stubbornness, we're talking about the cause of stubbornness. So if you're taking notes, this is the cause of stubbornness. There is a, a, a single letter word that explains it very, very well. Do you, do you, I'll read the verse to you. Look at, at Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Let me give you the back story. Jonah got angry. Why? Because he goes... The men throw him overboard. The men are like, what do we do, Jonah? You're serving this God who made the heaven, the, who lives in heaven, who made the earth and the sea. We don't know how to make this God happy. What do we have to do? Does he need money? Does he need a, do we need to drain a pioneer blood? Do we need to do, what do we do, Jonah? And he's like, throw me in the ocean and you'll be all right. Now, I could think of a whole lot of better things to recommend, you know. I just want you to know, if I offend God and we're in a boat somewhere and this big storm's coming up, I'm not going to ask you to throw them in the ocean. I'm just, I'm not. I'm going to say we need to have a prayer meeting right now. We'll do some other things, but we're not, I'm not going to ask you to throw them in the ocean. And he said, throw me in the ocean. And so they're like, no, we, we, we're not going to do that. And they rode hard. They couldn't get away from the storm. And finally they're like, okay, but they first pray to God, like, God, we don't want to make you any angrier. We know this is your guy, but he's telling us to do this, so please don't hold this against us. But they throw him in the ocean, and the storm begins to stop. The fish swallows him up after he is about to drown. We read his, in chapter 2, we read his, his prayer of somewhat repentance, somewhat confession, but more desperation, God help me kind of thing. And he literally talks about drowning and he was about to, to die, maybe even close to passed out. And some big fish comes up and swallows it, whether it's a fish or whale, we really don't know. And finally in there, he wakes up and comes to, can you imagine, have you ever been sick, have a fever and you wake up, you know, you get like the night chills and all that. Can you imagine waking up in the middle, in the morning and like, where am I? Because there's no light where he is and he's feeling the slime and like, I don't even know what that all is like. 
And he finally prays and kind of gets a sense of what's going on and says, God, I will do what you want me to do. Fish spits him up, throws him up on land. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go do what I told you to do the first time. And he says, all right, I will. And he goes and he proclaims to the people of Nineveh. Three days, he walks through the city and says, 40 days from now and you are going to be overthrown by God in heaven. 40 days. And all the people hear that and they respond. They believe God and they break down and they begin worshiping and repenting of their sins. Even the king says, don't let any animal drink or eat. Every person I want to fast throughout all the land and pray to the God of heaven and stop doing your wickedness. Just the fact that maybe God will relent and not let this happen to us. And they do. And God removes that judgment from them. And Jonah gets angry. That's the verse I just read. He gets mad. He gets mad. A revival, we would say, broke out. We should be praising God like, wow, these people turned to God. And he gets angry. Probably some racism going on here in his heart, to be quite honest with you. Well, we're the people of God. How dare they? They are not the people of God. But look what he says. Now he argues with God in verse 2. Never a good idea. He says, he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? I, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. God, I knew it. I knew you were sending me there to tell them that they were judged, and I knew that if they listened to you, that you were a God who was loving and merciful and was going to forgive them, and it wasn't going to happen. God, I didn't want to bring them a message of salvation. I wanted them to get it. Did you notice how often the letter I shows up in that? That's the one letter word that is at the source of stubbornness. You and I would do well sometimes to take stock in our prayers and our own conversations and the internal conversation in our head. How often I comes up. God's never impressed with that. But he said... I knew this. This is what I said and why I left. And I knew. I, I, I. At the end of the day, stubbornness is simply you and I doing what God doesn't want us to do. Just like my dog. My dog knew he was not supposed to run through the fence and leave the yard. But at the end of the day, he thought he knew better. And he thought he had more authority over his life than I did. That's really the source of stubbornness. We think we know better than the other person and we know better than God. Or we really, at the end of the day, think we have more authority over our life than God. And we become hell-bent, literally, on doing what we want to do. Now, my dog would always come back because he knew where his bed was and his food was, and then he had a real dilemma because now he had to go through the line a second time <laughs> to get back in. You see, stubbornness, the cause of it is simply our own heart. And I, I think the older we get, the more stubborn we become. I think some of you would say, you're stubborn all the time? I will pray, <laughs> I will pray for you, Gary. Some would say that they know you're stubborn because you're wearing Patriots paraphernalia right now. So you're wearing Patriots gear, so they know you're stubborn. 
Thank you, for your, thank you for your honesty, Gary. We are all stubborn. And it's us. It's when we think that we have the right and the authority over our life and know better. And God, why would you? How could you? And you, you know how it works. God's whispering in your ear through the Holy Spirit, or you just know that there's something He says, but you choose to ignore it. You choose to compartmentalize and you choose to move forward. We choose to do just what that dog did to me. Look back. Yeah, I'm going anyway. And it always costs us. That's the second point I want us to recognize. Our stubbornness costs a lot. I want you and I to take a, a look at what it costs. It's not fun and games. It, there is a heavy price tag to stubbornness. First thing I want you to notice, and look with me in verse, uh, verse 3. Twice it's talked about. But Joe... Jonah paid the money and he paid to run away, the Bible says, from the presence of the Lord. Now, by the way, if that's not the definition of insanity, I don't know what it is. God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. You can't run away from God's presence. Good luck with that. <laughs> You're not ever going to be able to outrun God. But he was running away from really where God was working, where God's blessing, and where God wanted him involved. And he just wanted space. You and I have done that, right? We run away from God's blessing. We run away from God's presence. We run away from doing that which we know good and well God wants us to do. Because we don't want to obey, and, and we don't want to do that for whatever reason. And we run away from God's presence. I, I want that to sink in. You realize that whenever you and I are cut off from God's presence, the only thing that results in that is death. That's why people, we are spiritually dead. Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God, they were cut off from God. They were removed from the Garden of Eden. They experienced spiritual death in this life. When you and I are cut off from the presence of God, we are removing ourselves from the one who loves us, who has all authority, all power, who protects us, who cares for us, who guides for us. And we are stiff-arming him, giving him the black eye, if you will, throwing the canoe paddle in his face and saying, God, I want to have nothing to do with you right now. I'm doing my own thing. And the thing about stubbornness is, much like pride, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, and the more you justify it, and the more it feels right, and the harder it is to turn away from it. Because it becomes entrenched in your heart and in your nature. That hard-heartedness, that the Bible, a word the Bible uses uh, in the Old Testament is stiff-neckedness, stiff-necked. The, the farmer in the Old Testament would have his oxen in a yoke and, and hitched up. And cows, by nature, don't, aren't as trainable as horses. Um, and the ox would want to go its way, and the farmer would be like, I can't be drawing a you know, planting seed that you know, looks like some sort of ziggity-zag curlicue. He wanted, he wanted the straight rows. And so he would have a goad and would, would poke and prod that oxen, that stubborn mule, if you will, and 
poke it so it would go straight. And the stiff neck was the idea that the oxen would bend its neck to its own thing and didn't want to submit and be tender and submissive to the will of the farmer. And it, it's baffling to me that you and I can be so blinded in our sin and so living in a way that God lovingly says, no, I've got something much better for you over here. I want you over here. And we are so bent and saying, no, I want to do my thing, my way. But the thing is with God is he's always, he's actually more hard-headed than we are. I don't know if you figure that out yet or not, but God's head's a whole lot harder than the hardest head. He's a whole lot more stubborn than us. And he's got the authority to bring storms up on the ocean and summon fish to swallow us and all kinds of things. You can't out-stubborn God. You can't. You can't get away from him. You can't stop it. And in the process, you remove yourself from the blessing of God. The current dog I have, I've trained. I didn't put an electric fence in. I just trained him not to leave the yard. And uh, I just encouraged him that it was in his best interest to not do that. And uh, he obeyed it all but two times. One time we were going hunting and he knew it and he was incensed that we left him home. And he ran down the road looking for me. The second time he just, and he must have figured out, oh, I can get out of this place. Like you could have all along, but you know, I trained you and you're just a dumb dog. Second time, he figured out, well, I want to go see the neighbors because they've got chickens and, you know, on a fence and they've got goats and they've got fun stuff next door. That's usually what our stubbornness is. There's something alluring us that way. But he got more than he bargained for. The neighbor also has a big German shepherd and a lab. And the German shepherd, one of them had him by the neck and the other had him by the hindquarters and they started mauling him. In fact, the kids heard a dog fight going on and said the neighbor's dogs are getting another dog and they didn't recognize that he's a white dog and, but it was so muddy and so much going on that it looked brown and come to find out it was our dog that was getting mauled, hadn't taken him to the vet and he was a mess. Um, needless to say, he hasn't left the yard again. Kind of learned his lesson. Um, it's because he left the space of blessing that I had created for him. Everything he needs in that space. I've got two acres that he can run around and chase butterflies and tweety birds and swim around in his little pool and run and scratch and play and do his thing. And there's food and there's a nice air-conditioned home right now that he can go into. And he chose because he thought something was better on the other side. And I knew there's danger outside of my yard. I know he can get hit by a car and there's other bad stuff. And it's a scary, wild world. Have you learned yet that when God wants us to do something, it's always in our best interest, not because God's going to get us, but when we run away from the presence of God, we remove ourselves from the blessing of God and from His presence powerfully in our life. And Jonah wanted to leave that. Some of you have probably lived most of your life in stubbornness against God for various things. You see, God reaches down to people and says, you really need to trust me. You really need to submit and commit your life to me. 
And we come up with excuses of why we don't want to, and we trust in other things, our religion or our background or whatever. Being a good person, God's like, doesn't cut it. And God keeps knocking away at us. I want to challenge you this morning that you need to submit and commit your life to Jesus, to be Lord of your life. Submit and surrender yourself. Ask God to somehow give you the ability to be tender in your heart and to let go of whatever it is in your past that you're holding on to, whether it's your, your past religion or church identification or your, your own stubbornness or whatever, and say, God, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And then for others of you, Jesus is Lord of your life, and God wants you to do some things, but you're resistant. Bible's full of those examples of people that resisted the will of God. And God tells us not to be like that mule in, in the book of Psalms, I think chapter 32, 22, somewhere right in there, but tells us not to be like that mule that God has to put a bit in our mouth to get us to go where he wants to, that he drives us to it. He wants us to cooperate. We're to cultivate a heart that's tender to him, that's, that says, yes, sir. And all along the way, the knows that God blesses us immensely and tremendously. So when we are stubborn before God, we remove ourselves from the presence of God. We endanger people around us that we love. Our stubbornness doesn't just affect us. Jonah went onto that boat. Whose life was affected? All of those sailors, all of their wives, all of their kids. He endangered all of them. On top of it, he even indirectly endangered all of Nineveh because he didn't want to give them the good news of the gospel. And our stubbornness always damages and endangers the people around us. In fact, the more that we're stubborn toward God, the worse it becomes. Our sin always affects those around us. And stubbornness and pride especially begins to, to hit, hit home. It damages us internally. Jonah, later on, wishes to die. When Nineveh finally repents of God, repents to God, and he gets mad, he's like, isn't this what I told you? The next verse in chapter 4, verse 3 says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. He says the same thing just again in chapter 4. I think he had a bit of a death wish even in chapter 1 when he said, throw me overboard. He was looking for an easy way out to die. You see, when you and I are stubborn, we lose perspective and we lose reality. Therapists would put us on meds when we're stubborn at this level. Call it what you want. Was he suicidal? Yeah, to a degree. It was out of his anger. He was angry. So angry that he would rather check out than he would live. And it was his stubbornness. But stubbornness always causes us to lose perspective, to lose reality, to lose touch. And it's one of those things that people would be prescribed medication for today. Many things are answerable in our minds just from us truly submitting and surrendering our lives to truth. And he totally lost perspective to the degree that he also lost compassion for other people. The rest of the story is, is that Jonah, after he pronounces this to Nineveh, 
goes back after three days and sits on a, seems like a hillside where you could kind of overview the city. And I can picture him, okay, I did my job, God. And he sits back to see what's going to happen, probably hoping that they ignored God's word and he was going to see a light show and God bringing down lightning and volcanoes and earthquakes and was going to get to see the show. And instead, kind of like the Grinch at Christmas, you know, at Whoville, instead of hearing what he thinks he's going to hear, you know, he hears them mourning over their sin and God blessing them. And the heat comes out so bad and God makes this fast-growing plant, a gourd, grow up over them to give them some shade. And then God allows, sends a worm to kill that gourd and it goes away. And Jonah's dying of heat again. And he gets mad again. God's just poking him. God all along is just like, Jonah, come on, dude. What are you doing? And he says, is it right for you, Jonah? Look at I think I've got it on the screen in verse 10. If not, I'll catch up to it in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Jonah, you pity the plant which you did not labor, nor did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? In other words, likely that are so young that you know, they're little kids that can't distinguish right from left. And also much cattle. Jonah, you're pitying, you're worried about this sorry little plant. Am I not right to care about a whole city? Come on, Jonah. What is your problem? He lost compassion for other people. You see, when you and I get into the stubborn mood and that mindset before God, we become so isolated, self-focused. We stiff-arm God and say, God, I don't care what you're doing. I don't want to go your way. I don't care how this affects other people. God, I don't care about people. I don't care about my implications of my actions. God, I just want my way. There's a huge price tag to stubbornness. I want to challenge you. Stubbornness is not a virtue. When you and I do not have a tender heart before God, and even a tender heart before other people, and especially other Christians and our family, we're to cultivate that then we have some real problems before God and God's judgment sets in. Let me share with you quickly because you're being very patient this morning. There's the cause of it, it's I. The cost is deep. Internally, we become a mess. Externally, we other people and, and toward God, our relationship's a disaster. What's the cure? When you finally say, okay, Sean, I get it. Okay, God, I get it. What's the cure to stubbornness? How do you get past it? You do, not what Jonah did. If you read carefully, Jonah really never gets past it. I'm kind of interested when I get to heaven to find out what the end result was. I hope he finally said, God, I'm sorry, I've been a jerk, a knucklehead. I don't, we don't really know. But Nineveh knows they weren't stubborn. In fact, they listened to God. Look at chapter 3. When Jonah had called out in verse 4, began to go into the city, a day's journey called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And in verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed God. When the king heard about it further on in chapter 3, he says, down in verse 8, he says, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. 
Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. By the way, God didn't change His mind. Many promises in Scripture and many judgments in Scripture are conditional. And we're just not told that. God was going to absolutely destroy Nineveh in 40 days, but it was a conditional judgment if they didn't turn to God. God didn't change, they changed. And their solution to stubbornness is ours. Very simple. God, I believe you. I trust your word. I'm going to obey. I'm going to turn away from my evil ways. I'm going to turn away from my pig-headed thinking. God, I'm going to stop thinking that I know better than you. A lot of skeptics in the world want to have all kinds of reasons why they don't believe God. But at the end of the day, the real underlying issue is stubbornness and pride and an unwillingness to deal with sin. And to think that they can be smarter and understand God or anything that way the world works better than Him. So it's you and I simply saying, God, I believe you. And I'm turning away from my junk in my life. I'm putting down and laying aside the things that you've told me not to do. God, I'm walking away from it. Sean, that sounds all fine and good, but I'm not sure I can get there. What are my friends and family going to think if all of a sudden I start becoming this Christian or this, I've got, I've got so much invested in all of this. Listen, Nineveh were not God-fearers. They didn't do this in a vacuum. They had generation upon generation upon generation of following other gods. The message of Jonah went ran right cross grain with everything they had believed and done and known up to that point. But they submitted their heart to God. And that's a struggle. It was a struggle, I guarantee you, for them. And I know it's a struggle for some here. So if you're at that point, your first prayer might be, God, I'm struggling with this, but I know I need to do this. Would you just take the next step and say, God, would you help me do this? Just, God, would you help me? I want to be more tender to you. I, I, want, I want to want to obey you, because right now I don't even want to, want to obey you. Would you take that first step? And if you've got something in your life that you know God has been talking to you about, would you listen to the Holy Spirit? Would you listen to God's Word? Would you listen to the people around you who care about you, that God is speaking into you through them? And would you admit your stubbornness? And would you relinquish that before God in heaven? And if you are one of those individuals this morning that has never really surrendered your life to Jesus because you've been somewhat stubborn, would you confess that to Him? And would you ask Jesus to save you and forgive you? He would do the same for you just like he did Nineveh. We're going to meet those who go to heaven are going to meet a bunch of those people one day. That's going to be kind of cool hearing what God did in their life at that point in that day and afterwards. But would you make your heart tender, cultivate that before the God of heaven this morning? And then would you commit to do that every day after that? So our worship team is going to come up. And they're going to lead us after I pray in just a, a response song, a song for you and me to ponder, think about what God is talking to us about. 
Would you put a little meat tenderizer on your heart this morning and soften it to the God of heaven? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that he died for us and he saved us. And God, I pray that all the thoughts and the things that have come up in our mind this morning, I pray for your graciousness, your forgiveness, and I pray that you would help every one of us to listen to the truth of your word. Help us not to be hard-hearted, to be stiff-necked, to be stubborn, to be obstinate, to think that we're smarter than you or know better or deserve to do our own thing. God, I pray you'd help us to be tender before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.